Faith in Jesus Christ is nothing to be ashamed of. And it does not matter what the world says. It does not matter what the world calls you. It does not matter all the negative quotes about being a Christian. It does not matter because there is nothing to be ashamed about in following the one who died for your sins so that he could make a way for you. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. All right, got your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 16. This morning, before we get started, I think everybody in here is familiar with word association, right? Is that, have you, you've heard of that, right? It, it's where a person says a word and you are to respond with the first word that comes to your mind. Right? It, it's used a lot in psychology. I, I, I don't know if it's beneficial or not, to be honest with you, but I know that it's, it's used a lot in, in psychology to understand. Uh, just kind of see what you're thinking. I also found it interesting. It's used also to see how language develops. And this this I didn't know, that if you do word association with like a, a, a small kid, say like five or, or six years old, and you say the word tall to them, they might or typically would respond with the word grass. That they hear the word tall and they automatically put it in a context of something that makes sense for them. Hey, grass is tall, tall grass. However, as you get older, when you hear the word tall, you're probably automatically going to say, LeBron James. See, now I can't ask the next question. Because if I, if I say light, there's no telling what you're going to say. Most people, normal people, would say dark. Obviously, this morning, my mind works in a very different way than everybody else's. Tall is short. I, I had short. Yes, short. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted you to say short. Uh, when light, I wanted you to say dark. And, and right, I wanted you to say wrong. Okay, we got one of three. If you're still with me this morning, and heaven knows if you are, the point I'm trying to make is when we think of the word suffering, what we call to do this morning through God's Word is not usually what we think of, right? When we think of suffering, we probably think of unwanted uh, difficult, hard, not wanting to go through it. We, we think of suffering as something foreign to God's plan for us and, and something foreign for a believer's life, right? So it's, it's a little um, astounding this morning when we read what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, what he actually says should be the role of our attitude when we look at suffering as a believer in Christ. This is what he said, verse 12 through 19. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This morning, I just want us to focus in your study guides on the first point that our attitudes as a believer should be different when we face suffering than that of the world. And when we look at what Peter is writing to, to us this morning, he tells us that we should embrace suffering with the correct attitude. The correct attitude. And he breaks it down into four sections, four attitudes this morning. The first one is this. Believers should embrace suffering with normality. All right? That's, that's his first words out of his mouth. He says, do not think it strange. Do not think it strange. For something to be strange is to think that it, it would be abnormal, right? We got a little bit of snow on the ground this morning. It's February. It, it, it's, you know, it's not abnormal. Now, if it was June and there was snow on the ground, that would be strange. That would be abnormal, and we would all be very concerned about what was going on, right? But we do not think this weather is strange this morning. Peter writes and tells us, look... When you are going through suffering for your faith, do not think that it is something strange. Do not view it as something that as a believer, you, should be, uh, you, sh you shouldn't have to endure or go through. That suffering will just skip over you. Now remember, and I've got to qualify this as we talk about suffering, and that is this. When I say that it is normal, we, we need to kind of look at what normal is, right? For suffering and, and death is normal in the context that we will all experience them, right? Yet I believe that deep down inside of, there's an, we instinctively look at suffering and death and think this is not how life should be. I think we do find it, we do find it strange. And I think God placed it in our hearts. And I, I think it's there for a reason. I think it's easy to see in Scripture. If you go to Genesis 1-2 and you look, suffering and death was not in God's original creation. If you jump to the end and go to Revelation 21 and 22, you will discover that suffering and death are not a part of God's final redemptive plan. So the beginning when there is perfection and the end when there is perfection, there is not suffering and there is not death. So as a believer... We think of suffering and, and death, and we look at it and go, it, it's not normal. A few, several years ago, I had a conversation with a doctor. Uh, I was in the hospital visiting, and, and the person was a, about to pass, and the doctor you know, looked at me and said, you know, death is, is, is normal. And I remember looking at the doctor and going, no, it's not. And we had this conversation. I can't talk to her about medical stuff, but I could talk to her about this because she, she ventured outside of medicine into theology. She goes, yeah, it's normal. It's just, it's a part of creation. It's a part of who we are. It, it's normal. It's not something to be afraid of. I'm like, well, you're right. It's not something to be afraid of if you're a believer in Jesus. However, it's not normal. 
There's nothing normal about suffering and death. And I have to mention that because for us, it feels wrong on every single level. Yet here Peter writes in saying, we're, we, we can't consider it strange. Even to the point of death. Right? That, that's Peter's whole conversation as he's been writing about suffering. It's, it's not unusual for a believer to suffer. So we can't think of it as strange. And to help us understand that, he immediately ties it to Christ. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. Right? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, perfect human being who knew no sin, who did not sin, endured suffering to the point of death. And if we understand the truth that Jesus went through this, it, it normalizes suffering for us. At least to the point that we can say, if, if we want to be really honest and go, all right, if Jesus suffered for his faith and for the work that he was doing, why should we not suffer? Considering that Jesus suffered and died for our faith. And so here Peter is writing this, and he's writing this to believers who are exhibiting their faith, and it's marking them as someone different from society at large, and that difference is going to bring suffering to them. He says, look, this fiery trial is going to come to you. It could be for them a loss of position. It could be for uh, being abused or physically assaulted for their belief. And Peter says, look, this, this is normal for a believer. And remember, while not downplaying other trials, all right, I'm not downplaying you go to the doctor and, and you get diagnosed with COVID, the trial that's going to come with that. I'm not downplaying that or any other type of trials. But remember, Peter writes specifically about suffering as a believer for your faith. And Peter says, look, do not count it as strange that people are going to malign you and persecute you for your faith. Now for us, I think for a long time, the church in the West hasn't really understood this. Right? Because for a long time, we have been um, at least looked upon with, okay, they're good people in society. They go and they worship, and, and, and we're not going to say anything to them. And being in the South and being in the Bible Belt, we, we've enjoyed that. But it's slowly starting to change. Right? I found this, this quote. It said, Modern Western society has for many centuries been so largely shaped by the Judeo-Christian ethic that acceptable values of Christians and of unbelievers have not necessarily conflicted so sharply. From the time of Constantine to rather recently at least, a nominal Christian profession was socially acceptable and in many places the social norm. Right? I mean, it, it was normal that you went to church on Sundays. And if you didn't, at least it was accepted as normal. But things are radically changing in the world today. And if you continue to stand, not, not as a nominal Christian, but if you continue to stand as an uncompromising Christian, 
professing faith in Jesus Christ, then the suffering that has largely escaped the American church is about to catch up with us. And if it does, we need to come back to God's Word through Peter's pen where God told Peter to write, Do not be surprised. And we find solace that God has already said it might happen. Don't be surprised if it does. But then he tells us that believers should embrace suffering with joy. And every time I, I mention joy, I always make the distinction, because I, I, I think maybe somebody hasn't heard this, just the distinction between joy and happiness. They're not the same. All right, Joy is, is internal. Happiness is external. Happiness changes with the circumstances. You can be happy, uh, you, you know, or you can be sad depending on what happens. Joy, on the other hand, is internal and does not change with circumstances. And Peter here writes, you know, but rejoice. All right, rejoice. Now, he does not mean jump up and down and shout. I, I have, seriously, I have yet found a believer who is like, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, you know. Have we read in the Christian faith and history of believers going to their death with resolve and with conviction? Yes, but I have yet to find one that skipped, you know, to be burned at the stake. Right? So when, I, when Peter tells us to rejoice, he, he's not telling us, you know, to, to be flippant about it and to just, again, the idea of what you think of joy is just celebrating and skipping and jumping up and down. Okay, that, that's not really his point. What Peter is, is telling us to do is, look, rejoice in the suffering because there's a future hope that we have. That, that's what Peter ties into it. Look, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Then look at what he says, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The reason we can rejoice in our sufferings is because we look beyond our sufferings to when Christ is revealed and to what is going to be our ultimate joy. And that is that we reign with him forever and ever and all eternity. Peter says, you allow what is Christ has promised, what is awaiting us on the other side, because we know it's going to be a place of joy. We know it's going to be a place of perfection. We know it's going to be a place where we don't have to suffer for our faith anymore. He says, you allow that joy that is coming in the future when Christ is, His glory is revealed, and you allow it to impact your life now. Because if we think beyond the suffering that we're, we're enduring now, we can endure it with joy. I really think that when Peter wrote this and the, and the next one as well, that he is thinking about Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Right? I, I really think his mind is flashing back to that in Matthew 5, 12, where, where Jesus, write, or excuse me, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. All right, that's, that's what Peter kind of says. Rejoice because His glories could be revealed and, and you're going to be part of that. Right? When you stand fast in the suffering, you are testifying to the truth that there's an eternal promise waiting for you. Have you ever thought about that? If, if, if you are persecuted or mocked for your faith and you endure it with your joy, 
You're actually testifying to the person who is persecuting you or causing the suffering that there is something more than what is happening right here in this moment. That there is a promise that Jesus has made to us that will outlast every evil person who has persecuted you. There is a promise that Jesus has made to his believers that will outlast every evil government that has sanctioned the persecution. There is a promise that Jesus has made us that will outlast any ordeal that we have to endure here on this earth. And he tells us that if we respond with joy, it's encouraging. And it gives us a a chance to, even though we're suffering, it gives us the ability to endure it and, and to stand firm through it. Because something better is coming. Now, at the same time, that I think Peter is thinking about what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, I also want you to notice Peter's development. Right? You remember who Peter is, right? We all, we all know the stories of Peter. You remember what Peter did when Jesus was arrested? And I know, yeah, he cut off the guy's ear. Yep, all right, fast forward. Remember what happened after that? Jesus is on trial, right? Standing out in the courtyard. This little servant girl comes up to Peter. Hey, aren't you one of his? No, no, I don't know the guy. Right? He gets asked again. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? I I, I barely knew him. Third time. Hey, your accent gives you away. You were with him. And it's at the third time, right? Says he curses and, and basically just throws a fit. I do not know him. I am not his. The rooster crows, Jesus looks at Peter. In that moment, Peter was more concerned about suffering for his faith and what might happen to him if he looked and said, yes, I belong to him. Because if they're willing to crucify Jesus, you know that they're willing to crucify his followers, right? And so in that moment, Peter says, you know what? There's not enough joy And what might come should I die for my faith that I want to stand and endure the suffering and the persecution that might come. And here's Peter writing years later, do not count it strange and rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad. Peter finally understood that in the face of suffering and enduring suffering, you can look beyond what is happening and find joy in the promises of Christ and our eternal reward. And if Peter could write that, who church history has being crucified upside down for his faith, then surely we can rejoice in our sufferings as well. But then Peter writes that we should embrace suffering as a blessing. It's a blessing. He says... If you suffer for the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Now, that's, that's really important, okay? <laughs> he puts it on there with a caveat. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. All right, again, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And both of those Jesus attaches a blessing to. But the blessing is only attached when we do that because of His name. 
right? That, that's, that's, that's why Peter writes down here. He says, look, if you suffer for a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, and, and I don't know that there's any indication that, that the people who is writing to were going through this or somebody was a murderer, but you can see that he's just kind of pulling up the extreme examples. Hey, if you murder somebody all the way down to you're a busybody and a gossip, and you suffer for that, then you suffer rightly because you did what was wrong. And there's no blessing in that suffering. The only blessing that is attached to suffering is when you are suffer because you did what is right. Now, if you're like me, I have a problem with this. Right? I, I mean, I, I struggle with this. And I think we all do because in our minds we're going, I'm a believer in Christ. I'm following Him. I'm trying to impact my community with the truth. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm standing for God. So surely if I am in God's corner, then I shouldn't have to suffer. Right? I, I, I mean, wh why then am I going to have to go through it? Why is the blessing attached to suffering? And the blessing is attached to suffering because people are not going to persecute you if your faith means nothing to you. Right? If, if you say, I'm a Christian, and, and you show up for church on Sunday morning and you worship, but then the rest of the week, to borrow an old phrase, you live like the devil, you ain't worth the time to persecute because your faith doesn't mean anything. Your faith isn't changing your workplace. Your faith isn't changing your family. Your faith isn't changing your community. Your faith isn't doing you or anyone else any good. You're not worth the time. But if your faith extends beyond Sunday morning at 11 o'clock to your family, to your workplace, to your community, to where you stand for God's truth, and you stand for Jesus Christ as the only Savior, and you stand for biblical truth, then all of a sudden people are going to say, hey, their faith really is important to them. They're believing, they believe their faith, and they're living their faith out. Now all of a sudden, your faith, the light that you are shining into the darkness, is coming into conflict with people who don't want to hear the truth. Darkness doesn't like light. And if you are light in a dark community, people are going to, hey, I want to silence you. I don't want to hear that. People then will persecute you because your faith is real. And that is where the blessing comes from. Because as people persecute you for your faith, it's really a testimony that your faith is real. That your faith is changing you. And that faith can change the community. And as you endure and go through suffering for the faith, it, it, it's so great that we have the totality of, of God's Word, right? If you cry out and go, how much longer do I have to suffer? You're in good company. The psalmist cried out for that. Job, the whole book of Job, Job cries out for that, trying to understand. And when you go through suffering, and, and instead of seeing the blessing, sometimes we think that God has abandoned us. That if God was really with His people, then, then we wouldn't suffer. But just the opposite is true. Peter says that you are blessed. And then look at what he says in the middle of verse 14. He says, because the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. 
God hasn't abandoned you if you are in the midst of suffering for the faith. In fact, He's got His hand on top of you as you do that. And He is with you. And the fact that you are willing to suffer instead of conform to the world speaks power to the world of the transforming power of the gospel in your life. And it demonstrates to you in the world that the Holy Spirit is in the process of sanctifying you. And Peter says, and Jesus says, that if you suffer for His name, then you indeed will be blessed. But then finally, Peter says, you should embrace suffering with honor. Too often we equate suffering with shame, right? And here Peter is erasing that shame. Now, sometimes shame is warranted, right? Shame can be a a good thing. Sometimes it is the shame of your sin that leads you to repentance, right? You, you are embarrassed. You're ashamed of what you did. The Holy Spirit is bringing that to the forefront and you repent in turn from your, your sin. But this is not what type of shame Peter is talking about. It's not talking about shame for a sin. What he's talking about is if all of a sudden you decide that maybe your faith in Jesus is misplaced, you're, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed of that faith, then you want to, to turn from it. After all, all society has has already said you're in exile for your belief, and and they continue to persecute you and continue to bring suffering to you. Peter says, look, if you're doing that, do not be ashamed, but instead glorify God. Don't be ashamed for your profession in Christ. Don't let society say that you need to turn away from Jesus. Because this is really critically important. And that is, faith in Jesus Christ is nothing to be ashamed of. And it does not matter what the world says. It does not matter what the world calls you. It it does not matter all the negative quotes about being a Christian. It does not matter because there is nothing to be ashamed about in following Jesus Christ following the one who died for your sins so that He could make a way for you. There's nothing to be ashamed in that. And Peter says, don't be ashamed. He said, instead, glorify God. Instead of turning and giving into the shame, he says, glorify God and entrust your soul to Him. Look at what he says, verse 19. He says, entrust your soul to a faithful Creator. And trust your soul to the one who has authority to judge all creation and who will judge justly. All right, we've talked about this a lot over the past couple of weeks, especially in, the, in our study of Revelation, that God is going to judge the world one day. He will judge those who have stood for Him and He will judge those who have turned from His name. And the difference is the ones who stand before Him who have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior, we stand before Him covered in the blood of Christ who saved us. And so the, the right judgment from God then is that we are His children and He admits us into heaven because we believed in Jesus. But those who continue to turn their backs on Him, He's going to go through the book and He's going to look through the books and He's going to look at all their deeds to see what they've done and they're going to find out that there's not been enough good deeds. There's not going to be enough to get them into heaven. And part of those deeds will be where they have persecuted 
God's people. And God will justly judge them as well. Peter says, entrust your soul to the one who judges justly and rightly. Right? I mean, he's telling us as a believer, we don't need to worry about society nor government or, or anybody because they don't have the authority to pass final judgment on us. They don't have the authority. They, they can pass judgment on us here and now, sure. But in the end, at the final judgment, when it really matters, it doesn't matter what anybody on the earth said or any government on the earth said. They don't have the authority to strip us of our faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter says, so don't recall in shame. He says, instead, entrust your soul to a faithful and righteous creator. And then he just throws this on at the end. He says, while doing good. While doing good. That, that's Peter's way of saying you continue to press forward. You, you don't recall back into your house and, and stop doing good for, for God's name. He says, you may be suffering. You, you may be going through persecution, he said, but as, as you do that, you entrust your soul to God and you continue to boldly live out the faith uh, in, in the community and in your life, even though that faith that you're boldly living out is what's causing you persecution. He says, you continue to leave it out. You continue to live out with, with bold prayers, with gracious hospitality, with service. You continue to be salt and light. You continue to spread the gospel. You continue to fellowship and worship together. You continue to say that Christ's name is the name above all names. He said, you continue to do that good as a continual commitment to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And when you do that, while you are suffering, God is glorified through you and through your actions. And people see that the gospel, as Paul wrote in Romans, is the power of God unto salvation. It has a greater power and a greater authority than the people who would persecute you for the faith. Peter writes to us this morning through God's Word. Although we don't want to suffer, okay, I'm, I'm, if suffering comes, I'm not running to the front of the line. However, if it comes, Peter tells us that we need to face it with normalcy, that, that we need to embrace it with joy, that we need to see the blessing in it, and then we need to wear that suffering with honor as we continue to glorify God and continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ then the world will see the transforming power of the gospel. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.